We're going to continue in our series on the Ten Commandments. I'm going to read the Ten Commandments again from Exodus chapter 20, and I'm going to read from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourners within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. From the Gospel of Matthew. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius, and Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Uh, today we are looking at the fifth commandment, what we, we count as the fifth commandment, which is honor your mother and your father. Honor your mother and your father, your father and your mother. Um, and if you grew up in church like I did, you probably had that one quoted at you, probably by a parent staring pretty directly at you for being rowdy or something. Um, this, is a, this is a commandment that we're given that we need to hear for a number of reasons, one of which is we're not very good at this commandment. This is the, this is the turning of the law. The Ten Commandments um, has the first four thus far been really about our relationship with God, and now the commandments turn and start to talk about how we treat other people. And I would just say, just as an aside, if you're a parent here, you should look ahead and realize that the seventh commandment is two weeks away. So if you have younger children, PG-13, FYI. Um, this one is the beginning of that turning towards other people. Um, we are not very good at honoring 
anything, anyone, really. This is not in our wheelhouse. We do not live in an honor and shame culture like is more closely like this one that originally heard it. That's not an important value for us. We don't, we don't value the generations above us but that came before us like other cultures do. We more focus on the individual. Our culture is oriented around the individual, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. There's great things that come with that um, because of West, the Western culture's focus on individualism. There's been a lot more attention paid to the rights inherent to each individual person and what that means and how they ought to be protected. That, that's a good thing. But it's also not the culture that was originally receiving or teaching these commandments. So we are not inclined to hear this in the same way that they were. And we're not inclined to teach it in the same way either. But it's something that we need to hear because, for example, our neighbors to the north in Canada have uh, a program of legalized euthanasia where it's legal to kill people at their request, mostly at their request. And that affects a lot of people, but it disproportionately affects elderly people. And we need to remember that the, the original recipients of the fifth commandment is not rambunctious children. The original recipients, the original hearers of the commandments are adults who are being told to honor their elderly parents. That's the original hearing of this commandment. That's how people are originally thinking about it. And uh, it, we may not, in our country, in our context, be saying, how are we going to kill all the old people? We may not, but it's very close geographically. And we do not orient our world around the generations that go before us. Our world is oriented around children. We especially value and focus on children. Families build their lives around the schedule of their children. And the generations sort of arrange themselves around children, which is not always been the case. Children have always been important to all cultures, but not like it is here. We borderline worship our children. And you feel that as a parent, if you're a parent, you know how your life has gotten reordered around them. And if you're a single person, you don't have children, you definitely know it's true. Because you try to hang out with your friends who do have kids and you can't get in that orbit. They are spinning their whole lives around their children. So you can see it too. But we are invited into a different way of being within this context, within the commandments that the, the Lord gives for his people. This is a command to honor and to care for your parents, which does not just mean not rolling at your eyes at them when they tell you to do something you don't want. Though it, I, it does include that. I say that especially now as a father. Um, it is a command to care for and to serve your parents. There is not a version of obeying, in their mind, the fifth commandment, of, of obeying the fifth commandment that does not include physical care for. The immediate working out of this commandment would be like, you will live with me until you die. That, that was their understanding. I'm not 
telling you how you need to care for aging and elderly parents. But that would be in their understanding. I will, you will live with me until I bury you. That kind of thing. Um, for what it's worth, this is definitely part of my retirement plan. That's why I have four children. They can cycle me how they want. I change their diapers, they will change mine. They owe me, and I've told my children that. I'm very clear on my expectations of that. It's one thing for me to say that looking to somebody else for their obligation, but this command is teaching me my obligation. And my, my parents are moving to town in the next few months. I've lived for a long time without my, having my parents close. So I'm thinking about the fifth commandment in a way that I haven't before because my dad is retiring this month. They're very healthy people, but now they will live like in my neighborhood. And this becomes very much relevant to me in a way that it never has before. I must honor my parents in the days that are ahead. And hopefully that will be the work of the next 30 years of my life. Hopefully they live another 30 years. I would love that. I love my parents and I'm privileged to have two parents that I love and I'm close to. That is a different kind of obligation than we are inclined to receive in our context. We don't think about the generations that way very often. That being said, that's the easiest part of the fifth commandment. I want to read for you an interpretation of the fifth commandment that I would say is normal across the history of Christianity. I'm going to read from the Westminster Catechism. You can read other kinds of traditions, Anglican Catechism, Roman Catholic, Lutheran. I checked them all. They all have this interpretation. This is question number 124. To whom does father and mother refer in the fifth commandment? Answer. Father and mother refer not just to our parents, but to everyone who is older or more talented than we are and specifically to those whom God has ordained to be over us in positions of authority, whether in our family, the church, or civil government. Now, if you didn't feel annoyed by the fifth commandment before, you certainly do now, because we're in America, the land of the autonomous individual, the land of the free. And here is this Christian teaching that this fifth commandment is obligating you to all kinds of people, anybody who is in authority over you. Authority and power are bad words for us today. It did not always used to be that way, but today... In our context, in our place and time, authority and power are at least suspicious. We don't have a lot of trust in authority and power. For some good reasons, right? We have more access to information than anybody in the history of humanity. We hear a lot of stories about authority and power going wrong. So we know more than we ever have about it. And so we are inclined to be pretty suspicious of authority and power. Authority and power are not bad things. They're not. Power is simply the ability to do something. That's all power is. It can be used inappropriately. It can be used badly. 
But power in itself is not bad. And I would say it is meant to be good. God ordains power for people to accomplish good things. He tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That is a vision of flourishing that he intends people to accomplish. They have power. Authority is just talking about the person who has the right to do certain things. And that authority, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that people have authority to do certain tasks and accomplish certain things. But we have all kinds of examples out there in the world and in our own personal lives where people in authority and power misuse them and use them towards terrible ends. When you combine that truth with a culture that focuses on the individual at all costs, you arrive at a place where we live, where you, this, these words that Christians have read and believed for hundreds and hundreds of years now seem incredibly controversial, probably dangerous to you. You are supposed to honor all of those in authority over you. What does that mean exactly? What do we mean? Um, I am a commandment breaker. I have made that very clear. I will continue to say that. I'm not proud of that. It's just the truth. I'm a commandment breaker many, many, many times over. I struggle to honor people in authority, especially if I believe they are wrong. That's usually where it hits you, right? You're, I'm, you don't usually have trouble honoring the people who agree with you exactly. It's when they are disagreeing, when you disagree with them, that the trouble really starts. So if you ever see, pretty much, if you ever see Buncombe County Schools has canceled school, you can, you can shoot me a text message, you can give me a call, I will probably be actively dishonoring Buncombe County Schools. My children are going to go to Buncombe County Schools. I am in subjection to them. I use that word advisedly, subjection to them. My attitude is not good. I, I am trying to get that on lock, and it is hard, okay? I really struggle with it. So I am not speaking to you as somebody who, who knows how to do this all the time well. I, I want to make us a bit uncomfortable. We're going to go back in time, about three and a half years. We'll take you to 2020 during COVID. You can just feel the PTSD sweats coming already. It's probably the largest mass honoring test that I've ever experienced. Um, it is incredibly likely, I would say there's a 99% chance that every single adult, at least in this room, had people in authority over them during COVID that said or did something that you did not agree with in some way. Now, that, that can happen in a multitude of ways. You may be a person that said, I will never, ever, ever obey a command to wear a mask, ever. You were very angry for a long time. You might be a person on the other side of the spectrum that said every single person should be legally required to wear a mask, even if they are alone in their own home. 
And so therefore, you were also very angry. And somewhere along that spectrum lived most people. And so you were then having to deal with multiple layers of authority in your life and in mine. We, because of the way that our government works, I have authorities over me at the national level, state level, county level, and a local level. And not all of them agreed all the time. So then I was having to make decisions about what I should do based on disagreeing levels of authority. And it made me very, very uncomfortable, to say the least. And I would just ask, you don't have to say anything out loud. How did you do honoring the authority above you in that time? I will report to you my findings quite poorly. It did not go well for me very often. I obeyed, but I was not honoring many times. Let me listen to you. Let me uh, have you listen to the Westminster Catechism again. Here's a question. What kind of honor is owed to those over us? Those over us deserve respect in our hearts, our words, and our actions. We must pray and give thanks for them, emulate their virtues and gifts, willingly heed and obey their lawful commands and advice, submit to their correction, be faithful to them, and defend and support their persons and authority as is appropriate to their rank and position. We must also tolerate their imperfections and infirmities and cover them with love so that we will be an honor to them and to their authority. Yikes. That is not what my life often looked like. And let, let me go one step further. I'm a person who has power and authority to some degree here makes this a little awkward, uncomfortable to talk about. We had to make decisions about what authorities to honor here. And we had power and authority here in this particular church about what we should do. And so we together said, you know what? God doesn't command you to never put a mask on your face. Therefore, we will honor the local instruction and and require people to wear masks here for a time. And some of you are like, I'm really glad I did not come to Valley Hope then. <laughs> I did not want to come to Valley Hope then either. I wanted to be someplace else, like on a beach alone. Let me, tell, let me tell you the truth, though. There were plenty of people in our church who would never, ever, ever wear a mask anywhere except here. And there was no fuss. They just said, I hate this, I disagree with it, and I'll wear this mask to be a part of this community for as long as we have to, to get through this. And I have never, ever felt so honored to be the pastor of this church, ever. Because I know how much it costs them and I saw their love for other people. Something over something I could be totally wrong about. I'm no, I don't know. But that showed me what honoring is meant to look like. It's costly and difficult. And we got through 2020 and 2021 
way better than almost every other church that I'm aware of because of people like that. It was special to see. What, what is required of you, though? I mean, the ideal is here. You love, you honor, you, you respect, you cherish, protect, defend. You have patience for weaknesses and infirmities. What is required, though? The, the fifth commandment is not, is not a commandment for you to be abused. That needs to be very clear. People who've misused and abused their power and authority use passages like the fifth commandment and teachings about it and other parts of the Bible to basically say you are locked in a lockbox. And because somebody has authority and power, you cannot resist it, but you must in fact be abused because God has ordained them to have authority. That is a horrendous misuse of the scriptures. Jesus makes clear in this passage that we read in Matthew 22 that there are spheres of authority and accountability that exist in the world. You got to pay taxes to Caesar, fine. But what he also makes clear is the image of God is everywhere and in every person. And Jesus' ultimate claim overrides everyone else's. So if you are in a position where a person with power and authority is misusing and abusing the image of God in you, the scriptures do not require you to just keep receiving it. That is not okay. And if that has happened to you, as is so, so common, whether via the hands of a, a, a real parent in your house or the absence of a parent, or the hand of a governing official, or a boss, it's another kind of power and authority, or a church person. I'm deeply sorry. God does not approve that and command you to submit to it. Now, honoring also doesn't mean anytime you disagree with someone, you're out. Because they're wrong, and I'm out. That just sounds like, you know, basically being an American. And at some level, the scriptures challenge what it means to be an American. So somewhere between these two guardrails, these two ditches on either side of the road, lies some pathway forward for us. What does it mean for you specifically to differentiate the gradients of abuse, offense, disagreement? I don't know. I, I can't tell you with a formula what exactly that looks like. But what I can present to you is what authority and power is meant to look like. Because Jesus will name it. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So what does it look like when authority and power is possessed properly and exercised in someone's life. Jesus has all of the power, rightfully, that's his. And he gives it away. He divests himself of all the appearance of authority and power to become a servant. 
he doesn't even stay on the level of equals. He strips off his tunic to wrap it around his waist and to do the dirtiest job. He goes to death on the cross as a cursed man, a criminal and a traitor. And this, we're told, is the power of God. The power of God is not domination and imposition. It is also not making a victim of you. The power and authority of God used rightly frees you so that then you are able to understand and to envision living in a place where leadership, power, and authority actually rightfully reflects this idea of being a mother or a father. Because what do parents do? They nurture you, they care for you, they protect you, they provide for you. That is what the exercise of authority and power is meant to look like. That is what you should expect and see out of people like me. And I'll tell you, I fail to live up to that standard. And see, this is the other component of what it means to live in a life that's defined by this kind of honor. Is it doesn't really work in a real human context apart from a commitment to repentance. The, the abusive wielder of power and authority is the one who will never say they're wrong. You're always the wrong one. But honor lived out in the life of God's people and the household of God is a recognition that we are all commandment breakers. And the first person to admit that and to say that should be the one who wields authority and power. That is the responsibility given to them to lead the people of God, to lead in any sphere of life, is repentance. So you, you may be here and you may say, I can't even talk about all the people in authority over me because I don't even have parents because you're abandoned or abused and mishandled. That's probably the case of half the people here. If you then started to go down the road of everybody in every position of power that failed you, hurt you, sinned against you, you're left with like nobody. That's the brokenness of the world. The Ten Commandments is not meant to be a slavery piece pushed down on you. It's meant to point to a life of freedom and goodness. And if you could imagine a life where God was the only God and people honored and served one another and valued life and the bonds of family, that's not an oppressive life. That's a good life. That's the best life. And Jesus took upon himself all of the fruit of the dishonor of the world. 
He received in his own body an abuse of power, a misuse of justice. He receives from me and from you the fruit of a life that refuses repentance and insists on getting its own way. Jesus shows us very clearly what a life outside of the Ten Commandments looks like, and it results in torture, murder, and death. And the God who gave the commandments stepped into the worst of that darkness so that he might honor you with the gift of his life. So that now, this God who made you now is rightfully named by you as Father. And you live in a household where the inheritance of the elder brother Jesus is handed over to you rightfully. The son would suffer so that you and I would be honored and glorified by the glorified one. So if if you're here today and you struggle with this, it's totally natural and understandable. If you are afraid and you've been wounded, you've been hurt, these are sensitive points for you. It's because you've been living in the world. You have been living in the non-Ten Commandments world. There is darkness and abuse everywhere. And I, I would love to see all of our systems corrected. I would love to see all, all right behavior lived out. I would love to see that. But ultimately, the hope of, of my heart, and I would hope the hope of your heart, is to only see Jesus ever more clearly. And one day he will set the world to rights and we'll be able to live in a world where this just makes sense. And until it does, the wounds that you bear, he has borne in his own body so that you would be honored by the love that he has for you and his own life that he gives to you as your inheritance. So if you are hurt, if you're wounded and and dejected, turn to Jesus. If you are a commandment breaker and you know you have lived a life of dishonor, you need to turn to Jesus. It is for you that he came to bear all the mocking and the spitting and the rejection so that you would not be the despised one, but the favored one. Do not turn in shame but run to the sun. If you are a commandment breaker, if you are a boss, a church leader, if you have exercised government or authority, if you are a parent and you have not led and ruled with the power and authority that reflects this God, then you need to repent. I need to repent. It is the image of the sun that I must conform not make the world conform to my own will. And today, if you see Jesus, that vision is more glorious than the imposition of your glorious vision of control and power. So repent and go see Jesus. And if you are here today, and you have been living life on your own two feet, under your own charge in your own household, If you have never followed Jesus, 
Let me tell you, he is better than anybody else you have ever met. You aren't really safe in the hands of any other person. But Jesus makes a very real and clear claim. All power and authority has been given to me. And the hands that he holds that authority have been crucified, punctured for your sake. You can turn your life over to him. And he will rule and reign over your life now and always. And bring you to a life of flourishing, protection, growth, and goodness. Where God is your father. And you are neither orphaned nor abandoned anymore. So today, see Jesus and turn to him. Jesus, like Jeremiah said, is the hope of the nations. Not this church or any other institution. It's Jesus. And there is no more beautiful hope than Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we, we are so grateful that um, you've invited us in to a different kind of life with you. And God, I pray that you will set us free to live this other kind of life. God, I pray for all of those who have failed and dishonored you with their life. God, I pray that they would be convicted of sin and that all of us who are in that camp would see you, the resurrected one, as the one who rescues us from a disaster of our own making. God, I pray for those who have been so wounded and afflicted by people who should have cared for and protected them. Jesus, I pray that you would bind up their wounds, bind up the brokenhearted. Father, I pray that you'd give them hope where, where otherwise they have lost hope. And I, I pray that it'll be crystal clear that their hope is, cannot be in any other person, but it has to be in you. But I pray that you would send people who will reflect that to them so hope becomes tangible, touchable, huggable. Father, I pray for everyone who's here today who has never trusted you, looks towards any claim to power and authority with suspicion. God, I pray that they would have their heart and their mind broken wide open by the crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus. They would see that there is nobody else like you if anybody else would demand what you demand, they ought to run and flee from them. But God, you are not like anybody else. I pray that you would make that clear, that our hearts be turned towards you. And that Jesus, we, your people, would grow ever more comfortable in the household of faith. That we would grow to be better and better brothers and sisters who honor our mothers and fathers. Ultimately trusting in our great God and Father in whose house we rest. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.